Mars 2194, Episode 8, Life in Tartarus, by Jack Stornoway. Copyright 2019 Jack Stornoway. It had finally happened. After almost a decade of waiting it was here, well, the other side of the planet, but close enough. War. Shahzad Ibrahimi had been dreaming of the next war since the last one ended, and he knew exactly who he was going to kill first. That fat Mexican that worked at Matter for Vac Train that was always leering at him. He had only gotten the delivery job so he would have access to the important suit Americans, and now the time had come. He wished he could just blow up the entire Matter for Tower, but there was no way he could get his hands on explosives, or the components to build them. He was a Persian, living in a suit American occupied colony, where non suit Americans had extremely limited rights, and no rights to weapons of any kind. The Persians had been there first, before the suit Americans had laid claim to their colony and deployed their lanceros. But that didn't matter. Not now. Now he'd have to settle for shooting that fat Mexican, and whoever else he could before they took him down. He'd rather believe he could survive somehow, escape to fight another day, to kill another day. But that was fantasy. The suit Americans would kill him, almost immediately. At least he could get access to the matter for tower, that was more than most Persians, other than that traitor that worked there. He'd shoot him too if he had the chance. For a decade he'd been planning what he'd do, but it wasn't enough time. All he'd managed to get his hands on in a decade was one handgun, which had cost him two years of diverted credits on the dark web. He'd planned to build a resistance, but all he could find were Persians that wanted to make earn enough credit, that they could to pay down their life debt to the point that one of the suit american prostitutes would consider marrying them. The prostitutes in the suit american brothels were shipped out from the suit american empire back on earth, people that were too poor and uneducated to ever pay off their life debt. In the century since the suit americans had invaded the planet, they had solved their prison population problem by sentencing first minor, and later major crimes to life on Mars. The homeless problem was later solved the same way, after not having a life debt score became a crime. When the Sud American Corporate Council voted to make debit hereditary, the Aymara of the Bolivian Highlands had rebelled, briefly. After the Lanceros occupied the Bolivian Highlands, the Aymara, all Aymara, were exiled to Mars. Some of the Sud Americans had been sent to work in the mines, but most of the women and children had been sent to the brothels. It didn't matter to most of the Persians, the prostitutes were still suit American citizens, and if they married one, their children would be citizens too. No one wanted their children to be Persian. That was about to change. Once he shot up the matter for tower the Lanceros would be back out in the street shooting Persians again, and his people would have no option but to fight. It would be different this time. This time there was the Aryan Confederation an independent Martian government out there that had just declared war on Sudamerica. The rumor going around was that America had also declared war on Sudamerica back on Earth, and invaded Mexico. This time it would be different. A decade earlier they had been alone. When rebellion had swept the face of Mars, Tartarus colony was no exception. The Persians had risen up after a century of oppression, only to be brutally stomped back into submission. The heroes from that war were all dead. Only the cowards remained and the children that had somehow survived. He had been eight at the time. His parents had been revolutionaries, that taught him the forbidden language and script of his ancestors. That was how he liked to remember them, heroic revolutionaries, but he knew that wasn't entirely true. They were both school teachers, school teachers that taught the old language, old religion, and old history to Persian children. That had been why the Lanceros had knocked down the door of their small apartment. That was why they'd held his father down and forced him to watch as they raped his wife and child, before shooting him. When they were done with Shahzad's mother they shot her too. Shahzad they left sobbing in a pool of blood surrounded by his parents' corpses. 
He had been a girl then, an eight-year-old girl who had realized she never wanted to be a woman. She hid the rest of the war, stealing scraps of food when she could, but mainly eating garbage the Sudamericans had thrown away. Once the armistice had been signed in Cyrenium, things slowly calmed down in Tartarus, and she was able to get the life debt of a boy that had died during the war, becoming Shazad Ebrahimi. Finding a doctor that would perform the genetic reassignment took a couple of years, time he'd spent learning to divert life debt through the dark web. There was always someone that wanted to pay down some of their life debt, and the Sudamericans had no idea how many Persians had actually died during the uprising. Shazad, and other Persian debt hackers kept as many of those Persian debts alive as possible, creating debt ghosts. The ghosts rented apartments, bought food, paid for air and water, and many even had jobs at companies with less than scrupulous managers. The managers took a generous portion of their ghost employees' pay, while the apartments were subrented out at a discount, with hackers like Shazad funneling the rent to paying down their own life debt. He'd paid for his genetic reassignment with air, water, and avocados grown from illegally imported pits. He didn't even know where the avocados were being grown, but every so often some showed up for sale on the dark web. Finding a doctor that would perform the reassignment had been difficult, as it was illegal for Persians to change from female to male. Male to female was fine according to the Sudamerican authorities, but female to male was illegal. Sudamerican culture had become ever more misogynistic in the century of occupation. Once there had been women in the occupying government, and even female lanceros. There weren't any more. Women were expected to breed the next generation of great and noble conquerors. Shahzad hated them all, and in a matter of hours he would have his revenge, and plunge Tartarus colony into another rebellion. This time the rebellion would spread to other Sudamerican colonies, and Ares would liberate them. He wouldn't see it, but it didn't matter. He pulled on his duster, tucked the illegally imported Anschutz Pulse pistol into a hidden pocket, and headed off to work. As he rode the Metrovac tube to the Avianca Marso yards he realized that there were a lot less people in the train car than usual. The Sudamericans all seemed nervous, and there were almost no Persians to be seen. The Vac tube train stopped at the usual old Tartarus colony stops before heading up to the city of Nuevo Tartaro on the surface. Old Tartarus colony was the remains of the old Iranian corporate era colony that had been mostly underground. Tartarus had started as a mining colony, and as the mines were worked out the hollowed out areas were converted into housing. Most Persians still lived in the old colony, along with poor immigrants from Sudamerican occupied South Africa and Madagascar. Nuevo Tartaro was a surface city of gleaming blue alone spires and blue alone domed gardens. All the alone windows throughout Nuevo Tartaro had a blue UV blocker coating applied to them, giving the impression of a blue sky for those walking around inside the domes. Sudamericans liked to wear their weighted shoes and pretend they were still on Earth. Even the vac tubes on the surface were coated in the fake blue sky. The Sudamericans living up in Nuevo Tartaro had no idea what life on Mars was like, they were living on a pseudo-Earth. When he got to the Avianca Marso yards he checked his route schedule for the day and smiled seeing that there was a shipment going to matter for vac train. He stepped out under the brown sky and headed towards his cargo barge. The brown sky always made him feel at home, brown was real, it was Mars. The barge was still being loaded when he arrived, the shipment to matter for was bigger than usual. There were shipments to matter for almost every day, but this one took up most of his barge. Usually they took up a quarter or less. An hour later the barge was loaded and he was floating up into the sky. The barge was a fixed-structure helium airship. Barges like his were used to ship cargo to remote regions all over the planet. He generally just did deliveries to the industrial yards around the edge of Nuevo Tartaro. The matter for shipment was marked seniority, so he would have to go there first and then double back to complete his deliveries. 
Normally that would have pissed him off, but today that was great. He wanted to get the war started. Matterfer was on the far side of Nuevo Tartaro, and normally barges weren't allowed to fly over the Metro Corps, forced to take a longer route around the edge of the city staying over the industrial sectors. Today was different, shortly after launch someone at Matterfer, got his barge redesignated as urgent and he got an updated flight route. He didn't like it, he'd rather not get noticed by the police, but he didn't have the option of changing his route once the barge got tagged urgent. Once the update came through, the barge's flight controls were taken over remotely by the Metro Central Traffic Control, and the barge's external lights changed from green to blue. If he changed course every traffic cop would be notified within seconds. He briefly wondered if the Sudamericans had found out about his Anschutz Pulse pistol, but realized they wouldn't fly him to Matterfer if they had. It made him wonder what could be so important about the Matterfer shipment. Usually only military shipments got urgent status. Matterfer was a VacTube construction company. Vac tubes weren't something that could be built urgently. The tubes were made of alone, aluminium oxonitride, which Matterfer imported from Earth, along with the electromagnetic repulsors used to move cars, trucks, and buses through the tubes. Was Matterfer covertly working for the military? Importing arms perhaps? The Sudamericans weren't known for subtlety. Why hide the imports? Something banned, viral weapons? Gamma bombs? Shahzad's mind was racing. Whatever the Sudamericans were sneaking onto Mars, it had to be intended for a first strike, and could be debilitating to the Aryan Confederation. Maybe he should find out what it was before shooting anyone. Another barge floated by outside and Shahzad realized there were dozens crossing the Metro Corps, something unheard of. Normally there might be one barge crossing the Corps in a month. The Sudamericans were clearly as worried about the Aryan declaration of war, as he was excited. He checked his avionics display, and checked barges' company coats. Most were cargo barges like his, a couple were heavy transport barges. The Lancero base was on the northern edge of Nuevo Tartaro, which was where the transports were heading. Their course indicated they were flying in from Orcas colony. The matter for vac tube yards were surprisingly quiet when Shahzad floated in over them. The avionics display showed which loading dock he was to use, but there was only one person standing there, dressed in a Sudamerican traje marso. Since seizing control of half the planet a century earlier, the corporate Sudamericans had to occasionally visit their ruddy outposts, and to make sure everyone knew how important they were they designed the Trahe Marso, which were very impractical in viral suits, and in Shahzad's opinion ridiculous looking. Unlike traditional Martian designs dating back to the corporate era, the Trahe Marso S didn't incorporate stills to recycle the wearer's sweat and urine, instead they had tanks of water mounted on the back. Instead of using algae to convert the Martian atmosphere into breathable oxygen, the Trahe Marso had even larger tanks of compressed oxygen and nitrogen mounted next to the water tanks, and the wearer's breath was simply vented to the Martian atmosphere, causing constant loss of water from the suit. Instead of being black, made primarily of carbon nanotube fibers, they were made from a variety of bright metals and plastics. One thing was certain in Shahzad's mind, whoever was waiting for his delivery was from Earth. As the airship floated into place above the loading dock the cargo hoist began to lower down the matter for cargo crates, and the Sudamerican began waving his arms. Shahzad glanced over at the comm display, but there was no incoming signal. He looked back at the gaudy green and gold-clad Sudamerican frantically waving his arms, and decided to land. Maybe it was that fat Mexican, he probably didn't know how to work a comm anyway. Maybe he came outside to sign for the shipment so he could look important on the report back to Earth. Shahzad glanced around the yards, and didn't see any movement. It was odd, usually there were a few loaders driving around this time of the day. Maybe he could shoot that Mexican without anyone even noticing. 
If he pulled the body into the barge he could drop it out while flying over one of the industrial areas few people ever went. He smiled as he felt the impact of the barge's landing pads hit the ground. Shahzad hit the button that depressurized the cockpit and lowered the landing pad, and then pulled his respirator mask on. Shahzad swallowed repeatedly as the air pressure quickly dropped, although like most Mars-born, he was used to the rapid pressure change. Ten seconds after hitting the button the ramp was fully extended and the air pressure in the cockpit matched the thin atmosphere outside. As the door opened Shahzad was surprised to see the suit American already halfway up the ramp. There's a redirection for that cargo, the suit American stated in Spanish shoving a docupad into Shahzad's hands as he pushed past him into the cockpit and hit the button to close the door and repressurize the cockpit. Shahzad was surprised, not by the redirection, or the suit American's rude behavior but rather that he seemed to want to come along. He looked down at the docupad and scrolled through the order. It was the same shipping order he'd already been given, the order that said to deliver the cargo to the matter for vac tube yards. He turned to the suit American to see the man had a sonic blaster pointed at him. It wasn't a deadly weapon, usually used to stunt crowds. At this range it would knock him out, and loosen his bowels. He knew if the suit American didn't kill him while he was unconscious he'd wake up a few hours later with a splitting headache and everything that had been in his digestive tract in his pants. He raised his hand slowly. We're leaving, the suit American stated. Fly east, out of the city, I'll give you more directions when you need them. I can do that, Shahzad stated sliding back into the pilot's seat, but if I deviate from the flight plan the police will be on us in minutes. Don't worry about the police, the suit American stated. I've hacked the CTC, they won't be tracking this barge, they'll be tracking a drone that will look like it's following your delivery route. Nice trick, Shahzad conceded, as the barge began to lift back into the air. But those companies are expecting deliveries. I've sending out notices that the deliveries will be delayed, due to the war emergency, the suit American stated. I doubt any of those companies will bother anyone about a late shipment today. The Lancero bases to the north, Shahzad volunteered seeing if the suit American would take the bait. Silence, the suit American ordered. Just fly me out to the location I specify and leave me there, and then you can return to your delivery route. Just leave you out in the desert with a giant crate of whatever? Shahzad asked. Because the Lanceros won't notice, and look into how the crate got there? Whatever you're doing seems like it is going to get me killed. Unless I call up the CTC after I leave you and tell them what happened. But you would have thought of that, so you have to kill me. You're not going to call the CTC, the suit American stated. Do you think it is a coincidence that it is you flying this cargo today? A Persian man, who is a woman. You won't be calling anyone. Shahzad was quiet as the outskirts of the colony gave way to the open red desert below them. Whoever the suit American was, he knew too much about him. How much did he know? Did he know Shahzad was a dead hacker? Probably, he had to have paid for the genetic reassignment somehow. The hill to the southeast the suit American interjected. Head towards it. Whatever you're doing, the Lanceros will see it, Shahzad stated. Even if you take what is in the crate and disappear, they will find the crate and track it to my company, and then to me. Whether I call the CTC, or the Lanceros come to find me, the situation is the same. I must disappear after I finish my deliveries. If you're not going to kill me, it is in your interest to make sure I can disappear. Some pesos would help out with that. They won't find the crate. The suit American stated. The exterior is coated in stealth crystals. When we get where we are going it disappears. Do you see that crater to the northeast? Head down into it. As for your payment, we'll leave the drone at your landing dock. You might find it useful in the future. 
That sounds like something that would get me killed if the Lanceros found out I had it, Shahzad stated dubiously. It fits in your pocket, the suit American stated. And if I wanted you dead, I'd just kill you. If you say so. But why would you want me to have this drone? Shahzad asked. This war may go on for years, like the last one, the suit American stated. If so, I will have additional shipments coming through. If you have the drone, you will use it, and if you become good, I will not need to expose myself creating the distraction next time. Ah, so that's it, Shahzad realized. You abduct me, and give me this toy, and then you own me. I already own you, the suit American stated. Anyone who finds out your real name will always own you. Follow that chasm to the south. Shahzad followed the instruction, turning the barge towards the chasm leading out of the crater, quietly reaching for the Anschutz pulse pistol tucked into the secret pocket in his duster. From his position the suit American should not be able to see what he was doing with his left hand. Did the suit American know he was left-handed? Did he know Shahzad had an Anschutz? The suit American finally stirred, moving towards the windows to look down. Wherever they were going Shahzad figured they must be getting close, and he didn't believe this suit American was going to let him live to tell the Lanceros how to find their way here. He sensed his time was almost up, and fired. The ion pulse tore through his duster and into the suit American's Trahe Marso, rupturing one of the tanks on the man's back, fortunately not the oxygen tank. He shifted his aim slightly as the man turned towards him and fired a series of shots into the suit American's abdomen. The man fell backwards against the cockpit's wall, and stood there blood trickling from multiple holes in his chest. Shahzad pulled the pistol free from his duster and kept it pointed squarely at the man, as he stood up and moved over to him. He reached up and pulled the gaudy helmet off, and then gasped as he recognized the man. He wasn't a suit American, he was the Persian that worked at the matter for Vaktub Tower. Why was he out here pretending to be a suit American? He checked the man for a pulse, but there wasn't one, and blood was beginning to pool on the floor. He looked out the window still not seeing whatever the man had been looking for. He slid back into the pilot's seat and turned the barge around heading back to the crater. From there, he headed northeast to an old open pit mine he'd hidden in for several months during the war. It had tunnels running into it, from the old abandoned mines below, an ideal place to leave the body. The pit was empty, and nobody had a reason to ever come out this far from the colony. He piloted the barge to a somewhat flat area near a tunnel entrance he knew, and then lowered the matter for crate. He checked the body for a calm, and then held the man's hand up to the DNA scanner to unlock it. It had an app for controlling a stealth system, and an app for unlocking matter for crates. He cloned the comms app's send data onto his comm, and then put it back in the man's pocket, before shooting the pocket with his pulse pistol. If this man's body was ever found it would look like his comm was shot at the same time he was killed. No one should suspect the man's comm was cloned. After pulling the body into one of the abandoned tunnels, he returned to the matter for crate and pulled out his comm. He unlocked the crate, and then hit the button to open one of the hatches, and the memory metal folded down. Inside were machine parts for air and water recyclers. He walked to another hatch and opened it, finding parts for aeroponic equipment. After checking a few more hatches, Shahzad realized the dead Persian had been going into hiding. He had all the components to build a long-term shelter. No actual structure. Maybe he thought he could live in the crate itself, or maybe he had been looking for a cave entrance when Shahzad shot him. Either way, it didn't matter. Shahzad could sell these parts on the dark web, and definitely get enough for a few more weapons. Also he had the man's sonic blaster. He closed the hatches, and turned on the crate's stealth system, realizing that that too would be worth quite a bit to the right buyer. He smiled as he climbed back up the ramp into the cockpit. He flew back to the colony, not knowing if the police were looking for him 
but found nothing out of the ordinary. He rushed through his deliveries, and then headed back to the Avianca Marceau yards to land the barge for the night. It was already dark by the time he landed, and he wasn't sure what to expect in the office when he went in to file his flight log. The day shift controller Marianella had already left, the night shift controller Nantel was on duty. She told Shahzad that most of the Avianca barges had been delayed most of the day, and two were still out making their deliveries. The finance department had authorized overtime pay. No one seemed concerned about where Shahzad had been all day, or where the missing matter for vac tube shipment was. He found good on the way home, smug even. He had killed one of them and hadn't been caught. It wasn't that fat Mexican, but it was even better because now he had that pot of gear which he could sell for millions. He could equip a small strike force. They could launch a real counterinsurgency. He still had the smug smile on his face when he arrived home and saw the message on his wall screen. The streaming image of the surface that usually covered one of the walls had been replaced with the words, we know, written in the old Persian script. No Sudamerican would have written that it had to be a Persian, someone working with the guy from Matter for Vactube. Shahzad had a sudden sinking feeling in his gut, followed by the impulse that someone was watching him. He looked around the one-room apartment, checked the bathroom, and then turned back to the wall screen that had been hacked. The wall screen had a series of sensors in it that could send out a 3D image of the room. It was something used for conference calls, the screen could also project a 3D image into the room recreating the room the caller was calling from. Shahzad had disabled both functions right after the screen was installed. He used it as a data display when he was hacking, or just left the streaming view from the surface playing when he wasn't using it. Others used the screens for games or simulated clubs, but those functions required the sensors to be working. Occasionally, Shahzad played an old 2D movie on it. He had amassed a large collection of corporate-era Persian movies, but that was it. He sat down at the chair facing the wall, and then picked up his keyboard. A minute later he was in the wall screen's operating system looking at the code that had been installed. It included a readme file, which told Shahzad to take the cargo pod to a specific set of coordinates the next day, or whoever they were, would send a file containing everything they knew about him to the Lanceros. He disabled the new program, and then turned off the wall screen and sat in the dark, thinking. The Persian trader was working with someone, someone who knew as much about hacking as he did. Another hacker who spoke Persian. He ran through the list of aliases he knew, and through the limited knowledge he had of their hacks. Who could it be? The thought occurred to him that the Persian trader may not have even known himself, maybe he was being blackmailed. No, the hacker would not have told him that Shahzad had been a female once. Now the hacker had that on him too, murder. He got up and started pacing, he wanted to go out but didn't dare, whoever it was could be watching. He had the night to figure out who it was, or he'd have to give back the freight pod, but that wasn't so bad. Of course, he had killed the traitor, so they probably wouldn't just let him fly away. Would they kill him? They could just tell the police about him. Either way, he was dead. He turned his wall screen back on to look for any trace of the hacker but found nothing useful. In the end, he had only one option. The next morning he headed up to the Avianca Marsa spaceport like he always did. He loaded his cargo, and flew the route as quickly as he could, until half the cargo bay was empty, then launched the drone on a pre-programmed flight path, and flew east out of Nuevo Tartaro. He didn't stop to pick up the cargo pod but instead flew directly to the coordinates he'd been given. They probably knew where the cargo pod was, but obviously needed his barge to move it, and if they killed him to take the barge and moved it themselves they'd have to figure out how to return the barge to Avianca with a dead pilot. At least, that was his theory. Maybe, just maybe, they'd talk. The coordinates were near where he'd shot the Persian trader the day before, 
although he wasn't sure where he was supposed to leave the pod, as there was no landing pad, or loading dock, just the ruddy walls of the ancient canyon. He decided to land the airship, and there was still no reaction outside. Someone had to be watching. He put on his respirator mask and pulled his cloak over his shoulder, then hit the button to open the door and lower the ramp. Outside there were no signs of life either. Someone had to be watching from somewhere. He descended the ramp slowly with his pulse pistol in hand, turning to look in every direction, but there was no one to be seen. Had they outmaneuvered him? Was this just a drop-off point, and there was no one actually here? No that didn't make sense, how would they get the pod to wherever they were taking it? They had to be around here somewhere. But they would have to move the pod, and if not a barge, then they'd need a loader. He looked at the ground for signs of tracks, but there were none to be seen. Given the way the wind swept through these canyons, he really didn't expect to see any tracks on the ground. If there was a loader, it had to be parked in a cave or something, or else the Sudamericans would have spotted it. There were no caves that he could see, but, was that what the trader had been looking for when Shahzad had shot him? Which direction had he been looking? It seemed he'd been looking forward, at the northern canyon wall. Shahzad decided to risk it, and stepped down off the ramp. He cautiously walked towards the northern wall still seeing no signs of life. As he moved away from the landed barge a sudden sandstorm appeared around him. He looked back up at the barge's hydrogen-filled superstructure, but saw it wasn't moving, the sandstorm was localized to the ground. He looked around and could see almost nothing, yet just a meter above him the sky was clear. Then as sudden as it started the storm was gone, and around him stood six people in black Martian cloaks and respirator masks, each holding a sonic blaster pointed squarely at him. You were told to bring the cargo, one of the gunmen men shouted in Persian through his mask. I thought we could negotiate. Shahzad shouted back. There is nothing to negotiate. The gunman stated stepping closer to Shahzad. I have something you want, you have something I want, Shahzad replied. What do you want? The gunman demanded. My life. Shahzad answered. That's not mine to give, the gunman stated. Do you still have the cargo? It's safe. Shahzad replied. Hand over your weapon, and then follow me, the man ordered, and Shahzad complied. The man led Shahzad toward the northern canyon wall, and as they approached it another sandstorm suddenly exploded around them, and then seemed to lift up above them, leaving them in a calm area under the swirling sand. Move! One of the other gunmen shouted from behind Shahzad, and he realized he'd stopped walking and was staring up at the bizarre storm. The first gunman was still approaching the canyon wall, and Shahzad followed. As they approached the canyon wall a large hidden door lifted up into the wall, exposing a hidden mine shaft. A loader was idling at the mouth of the mine, and behind it a large airlock door sealed the entrance to the mine from the rest of the mine shaft. It was the same as every other mine Shahzad had seen, except for the hidden entrance, and strange storm outside. The gunman led him through the mine entrance, and through the pressure doors, into the mine's interior, where a virtual village of retrofitted cargo pods sat. Some were clearly offices while others looked like residences, and based on the smells coming from one of them it had been retrofitted into a cafeteria. Overall it looked like the poorer regions of old Tartarus colony, except without the packs of children digging through the piles of Nuevo Tartaro's garbage. This village was clean, and well lit by an array of panels showing a fake Martian sky, white clouds drifting across the brown sky. Walking through the village felt like walking down some small canyon outside, except the air was clean, and the temperature was warm. As the group marched through the small village, everyone they passed stopped what they were doing to watch them. Clearly, they weren't expecting Shahzad, and based on their reaction, didn't get many visitors. He noted they all looked Persian, 
no Latinos, Aymara, or Sudafricans. He also noted there weren't any children, and everyone looked old enough to have been an adult during the last war. What had he stumbled into? The gunman led him up a flight of stairs to an office and told him to wait, then told two of the gunmen to guard him and left. There was a desk in the office, with several chairs around it. Shahzad dropped into one of the chairs and tried to be patient, but in the back of his mind, he knew that if they didn't kill him, he still needed to deliver the rest of his cargo before someone noticed he was missing. Any idea how long I'll be waiting? Shahzad asked. Silence. One of the guards snapped in reply. I'll take that as a no, Shahzad returned and then leaned back in the chair intent on relaxing. If it was to be his last few minutes, he might as well take what little enjoyment he could from it. Around a half an hour later the first gunman returned, now dressed in an old Tartarus corporate security uniform. The design was a century out of date, Shahzad only recognized it because of his morbid fascination with old corporate-era movies. With the historically attired guard was a scientist, or at least someone wearing a lab coat like the one scientists always wore in the movies. Mr. Ebrahimi, the scientist addressed Shahzad by his family name in Persian. You have caused us a great deal of trouble. That's my specialty, Shahzad replied. Apparently, the scientist observed. May I assume Mr. Turhani is dead? So they didn't know, not for sure. That meant they hadn't found the body or the cargo pod. That was his name? Shahzad asked cavalierly. The Persian that worked at Matter for Vaktub? The scientist stared coldly back at Shahzad, and then finally replied, Yes. Sorry, I never got his name, Shahzad stated. Corporate and labor rarely exchange business licenses, and yes, he is dead. The scientist paused for a few seconds, looking away from Shahzad. We were friends since childhood, he finally said looking back to Shahzad. Why did you kill him? He was doing something illegal, and forcing me to help at gunpoint, Shahzad stated. I figured it was just a matter of time until he killed me. Yes, the scientist stated, musing over Shahzad's response. So the miscalculation was mine. I thought you could be controlled through extortion. Where is his body? With the cargo pod, Shahzad answered. We'd like both of them returned to us. The scientist stated. I'd like a confirmation that you won't kill me afterward, Shahzad stated, and then added, or report me to the Sudamericans. We're not murderers, Mr. Ebrahimi. And we cannot turn you over to the Sudamericans without exposing ourselves, the scientist stated. You've killed our implanted asset within the Sudamerican corporate structure. We'll need you to replace him. You expect me to become a corporate? Shahzad asked in disbelief. Not like our previous asset. The scientist answered. Golem was well suited for infiltrating the corporate structure. You could be useful for us at the Avianca Marsa spaceport though. We are going to need to move equipment from time to time. And who are you exactly? Shahzad decided to cut to the point. Yes, of course, the scientist considered for a few seconds and then rose to his feet. Come with me. The scientist led Shahzad and the man in the old Tartarus colony security uniform out of the office and down the stairs, and Shahzad realized that the other two guards had disappeared as they'd been talking. We call this Meher Station, the scientist waved at the settlement around them. My name is Firdaus Satter, and I am the administrator of this facility. The settlement wasn't very large, perhaps capable of housing a hundred people. At the edge of the settlement, the Munchef disappeared into darkness. Firdaus Adder led them to a small transport car, and climbed into the rear seat. He told Shahzad to join him, and the guard climbed into the driver's seat, then flipped on the lights before driving them down into the mine shaft. This mine shaft was dug out back during the corporate era, Adder said. 
And we've been here since then. Who are you? Shahzad demanded again. We're the remnants of Tartarus Corp, Adder answered as the transport raced down the dark mine shaft. Tartarus Corporation was nationalized by the Sudamericans 80 years ago, Shahzad argued. The rest of it was, Adder stated. Meher was a separate division, compartmentalized within the corporate structure. The Sudamericans have never known we're here, and they cannot find out. How could they have not known? Shahzad asked. How could they have not found out in 80 years? Meher wasn't a functioning mine when Tartarus was nationalized, so it was easy to keep it off the books, Adder stated. And you guys have just been hiding down here for the last 80 years? Shahzad asked incredulously. No, Adder stated flatly. We haven't been hiding. Meher wasn't a mine for a couple decades before the Sudamericans invaded. Meher was a research facility. Ahead of them, a light appeared and quickly grew into a doorway at the side of the mine shaft. The transport pulled to a stop next several other park transports. Adder led them through a small office to an elevator and selected the lowest level. What we're going to show you can never be known to the Sudamericans, Adder stated. I assume you won't have a problem keeping things from them. That won't be a problem, Shahzad stated. But why are you going to show me this thing? You need to understand what we're doing here if you're going to work with us, Adder said as the elevator descended. How deep are we going? Shahzad asked a couple minutes later. Not much further, Adder answered. Don't worry about your deliveries. We've got someone sending through delay notices to Avianca, they'll think you're held up at the delivery points. The elevator stopped and they stepped out into another office, this one dimly lit with several people working at AI interfaces. Adder led Shahzad through the office to a window looking out into a cave lit up in blue and red lights. We found this around 120 years ago, Adder explained. Below them, in the cave, there were red lights moving around in a blue liquid. It's impossible to tell with your eyes, but that liquid is 85 meters below us, so there could be a 25-story building between us and it, Adder stated. So you found liquid water? Shahzad asked somewhat confused. It's not water, Adder stated. It's more like a plasma. Plasma? Inside the planet? Shahzad scoffed. How could plasma exist inside a planet? It would be absorbed by the rocks. Not stellar plasma, Adder stated somewhat irritated. Plasma, like the plasma in your blood. Blood? Shahzad repeated. You found a pool of blood. How could there be a pool of blood? It's not exactly blood, Adder stated. That's just the closest analogy we have. I don't get it. Shahzad stated after a few seconds of staring down at the bluish-hued liquid, with its mesmerizing red lights. He shook his head and looked back up at Adder. You're saying you found a pool of blood? What are you trying to tell me? Don't worry if you're confused, Adder smiled. It has that effect at first. It's the lights, they're kind of hypnotic. Let me block them. He touched a couple keys on the window's control and a pool of liquid disappeared below them, and now hundreds of new red lights appeared around the cavern covering all the walls and ceiling above them. What did you do? Shahzad asked. I blocked the light from the pool of plasma, Adder explained. Now you can see the rest of the cavern. The plasma is so bright that normally you can't see the rest of this. The rest of what? Shahzad asked beginning to become angry. You bring me down, who knows how deep into the planet, to show me a pool with some lights in it and tell me it's blood, and then turn off the lights to show me some other lights. You're angry, Adder observed calmly. I'm beginning to get angry. Shahzad replied. And now you know why the Sudamericans can never know what's down here, Adder stated. What? What? Shahzad stammered. Follow me, Adder stated, 
and then turned and began towards a door on one side of the office. Move! The guard ordered. Shahzad turned to confront the guard but saw the man had his sonic blaster pointed at him. The thought of waking up in a pool of his feces passed through Shahzad's mind and he decided to follow the strange talking scientist. In the adjoining room, the walls were covered in what appeared to be fish tanks. He'd seen fish tanks before at several of the Japanese and Polynesian restaurants in Wavo Tartaro. These fish tanks were all dark. The scientist did something to the controls of one of the tanks and suddenly there was a glowing red leaf inside the tank. It was the biggest leaf Shahzad had ever seen, and as he approached the tank, veins along the sides of the leaf seemed to swell up, and then the leaf leaned towards him. He stepped back quickly. How angry are you right now? Atter asked. On a scale of 1 to 10? What? Shahzad barked, suddenly feeling like this scientist had jarred him back into reality. He really wanted to hit this guy, with his stupid questions. I'd say about 8. Adder touched the tank's controls and the strange leaf disappeared back into darkness. He walked over to another tank, entered a few commands and suddenly the room was lit up with a bluish hue. Shahzad walked over to the blue tank, there appeared to be nothing in it, just a blue hue shining out of it. How angry do you feel now? Adder asked. On a scale of 1 to 10. What? Shahzad asked, feeling like he was waking from a dream. Um, I guess about 2. Adder touched the control and the blue tank darkened. How about now? 1 to 10? I don't know, Shahzad stated. What's happening? 1 to 10, Adder repeated. I don't know, 2 I guess, Shahzad answered. But if you ask me again it'll be 3. Do you understand? Adder asked. Understand what? Shahzad asked back. You have a fish tank that glows blue and another tank with a weird red leaf in it? It might take your mind a few minutes to start thinking clearly, Adder stated. When you looked at the leaf as you called it, we call them Arimans, you were very angry, 8 out of 10. Seconds later when you were looking at the tank of plasma, you weren't angry at all, 2 out of 10. Wait, so the leaf made me angry? Shahzad asked. And the blue stuff made me calm? Exactly, Adder confirmed. And when you looked at both of them together in the cave your mind was overwhelmed, almost hypnotized. What? So, that cavern is full of this stuff that messes up people's minds? Shahzad asked. Yes, put at its most basic level, Adder answered. And those red lights I saw all over the walls and ceiling were those, leaf things? Shahzad asked. There are several varieties, but yes, Adder stated. So you understand why the Sudamericans cannot know about this cave? Shahzad paused looking at Adder, not really. Why did you make them? We didn't make them, Adder stated. We found them, 120 years ago. So who made them then? Shahzad asked. Nobody made them, Adder answered. Or if you are religious, Allah made them. Allah? Shahzad considered. You mean they're not from Earth? Right, there is nothing like this life form on Earth, Adder said. So they're alien? Like those ELF signals? Shahzad asked. Yes. Alien. But not in another star system, Adder confirmed. So, do you understand now why the Sudamericans can never know about this cave? Not really, Shahzad admitted. All they care about is money, so either they would find a way to sell these life forms, or they'd kill them. Either way, it makes no difference to us. Adder paused considering, then walked over to another tank, and entered a few commands. The tank's glass wall depolarized showing the blue-hued liquid, and red things moving around inside. Shahzad walked up to the tank, which was larger than the other two tanks. The blue liquid was opaque, and it was difficult to see the red things, but they were moving around in it, 
swimming like those Polynesian fish. As he peered into the tank one of the red creatures swam past the glass. It was about the size of a football, but the rear half was missing, and instead, dozens of thin tendrils drifted behind it. Seeing it made Shahzad angry. The Sudamericans were going to kill it. Adder touched the controls again and the glass blackened. Seeing them makes us angry, Adder stated. But seeing the plasma makes us calm. Imagine what the Sudamericans could do with this. They could make us angry whenever they wanted, Shahzad observed. Or docile. But how could they use that without people knowing? People would rebel. Would they? Adder asked. You ever notice how there are no women in the Lanceros? There used to be. Did you ever notice how no one, not Persians, Aymara, or Sudafricans ever revolt? No matter how angry they are they won't revolt. Do you know why? They're a bunch of whiny bitches, Shahzad answered. After the rebellion ten years ago the Sudamericans began infecting everyone with a modified version of coxoplasma. They put it in the vaccines they give everyone, Adder stated. It makes people docile. They gave their own troops a different version that makes them hyper-aggressive. Unfortunately, the version they give their troops doesn't work on females, not enough testosterone, so you don't see female lanceros anymore. Wait, so they're dosing everyone with a toxin that makes people docile? Shahzad repeated in disbelief. And that's why no one wants to rise up? Yes, Adder stated. We've been down here since before they started dosing the population. Your procedure seems to have somehow altered the effects on you, so you're hostile instead of docile. But getting everyone to change their gender isn't a solution. It seemed to have worked for me, Shahzad joked. Seems like it did, Adder agreed. But most people wouldn't want to change their gender. Besides an armed rebellion would never work. The Sudamericans control over 40% of the planet. The Aryan Confederation could defeat, Shahzad started, but Adder cut him off. The Aryan Confederation controls less than 20% of the planet, has no allies, or even any trading partners. They cannot win this war they've started, Adder stated decisively. But America, on Earth, could invade Mexico. Shahzad tried again. Do you know anything about America? Adder cut Shahzad off again. The country's been in civil war since they declared their second revolution four years ago. Over 100 million have been executed for capitalist crimes. And they also have no allies, nor any trade partners. If Sudamerica doesn't conquer them, the Canadians probably will. So, what, there is no hope? We're just fucked? Shahzad asked. I won't accept that. This cave is our only option, Adder stated. It's a completely alien biology. As far as we can tell it's not even a biosphere, it's all the same life form. They might have once been different creatures, but that would have been billions of years ago when this cave was still connected to the surface. Since then they've evolved into one immense creature. The plasma pool, which we call Mihir, after the ancient Persian god of light, turns the geothermal heat into light, mostly UV and blue. The light is absorbed by the Arimans, those leafy things, which dissolve minerals from the rocks, and themselves emit red and infrared light. When they die they fall into the Mihir, where they're eaten by the tear, those things swimming around in the Mihir, and some of them are huge. Wait, Shahzad interrupted. I don't understand what any of this has to do with freeing our people. In the past few decades we've filed hundreds of patents back in Bogota, and in Brussels, Singapore, Ottawa, and Baghdad. We've got dozens of shell companies back on Earth, and have been buying stock in Wavo Tartar OSA. In a decade or two, we will have controlling interest, and then we can make sweeping changes. Until then we need to keep things stable. Isn't a peaceful transition better than a violent one? Adder asked after a few seconds of silence. 
especially when you know that no one will fight because they're all poisoned? Shahzad thought about what Adder was really asking. So you need me to keep flying freight at Avianca? For a while, Adder answered. We can liquidate our holdings in matter for VacTube, and buy a controlling interest in Avianca Marso, it's a much smaller company. Then in a few months, move you into a lower management level, and then in a year or two an upper management level. You want me to be a corporate? Shahzad stated in disgust. We want you to hire Persians, Adder stated. Sooner or later we'll have controlling interest in Wavo Tartaro SA and when we do, we need Persians in upper management levels that can take over from the Sudamericans. We're working on a treatment for the Toxoplasma, and we're not the only ones. So, are you willing to work with us?